0: How's it going, my brothers and sisters? This is Steve Kitts. Thank you for joining us on During Bible Study Podcast. We'll open up in a prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you, Lord, for your wonderful grace and love. and We thank you, Lord, that you're with us and that these words, Lord, that you give us is something we can put in our hearts and use for your glory, lift you up and give you the honor. In your blessed name we beg. Amen. Genesis 23, dealing with death. This is Moses dealing with his wife, Sarah's death. Sarah died when she was 127 years old. Uh, There's a pulpit commentary that points out that she was the only woman in the Bible whose age at death was mentioned. And the King James renders the Hebrew rendition which the NIV omits, and Sarah was 107 and 20 years old. These are the years of the life of Sarah. I'm not convinced that the mention of her age is significant, only that the commentary that attaches to it. It implies that if Sarah was 90 when she bore Isaac, then she saw her son grow into manhood. He was 37 years old when his mom died. This has some bearing on the story in the following chapter. We are further told that she died in Hebrom at the end of the... Pres- Previous chapter, we find that Abraham was living in Beersheba, which is about 40 miles away. It's not clear whether Abraham had moved in the meantime or whether he was moving around the country because of taking care of his flocks. We do read that Abraham went to mourn her, and Abraham came to mourn Sarah and to weep for her, which may have meant that Abraham was in Beersheba. When his wife Sarah died, but it's not necessarily so. Abraham observed certain testimonies of mourning that must have been customary at the time. We find similar ceremonies still carried out in the New Testament times. These are still being observed among some of the tribes of the Iranian groups. Among the latter, it seems to be more of emotional sorrow. For the separation of from a loved one it seems more to pertain to the automation motion of the spirit of the deceased that it would come back to the living and do no harm and therefore it should be appeased by weeping and sometimes physical mutilation of one's own body and cutting off of fingers or of ears that's weird how much of the philosophy was present in Abraham's mourning we don't know but we do get the impression that it was the only grief in, in expression. It seemed to involve certain ceremonies which were not described. At the base of such ceremonies lies the lack of understanding of life after death. There did not seem to be any rejoicing in the fact that this person, who had lived with God, had passed to glory. There should, of course, after every death, be a healthy, spontaneous outburst outlet of emotions of grief because of the separation but none if very little seemed to be present of the grief in the ceremonies morning ceremonies started at a predetermined moment and they ended when the time was up not when there were no more tears left the apostle Paul says that the grief of those who have no hope in base is ignorant he says brothers We do not want you to be ignorant about those that fall asleep or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. I've been trying to imagine what it would be like to lose a spouse in your old age. That seems to be, to me, the time when you need each other more than you do at the moment. I've been praying that unless God would decide to take us both at the same time, he should take my wife first. I do not want her to go through the agony of a separation. I trust that God's grace and sweet assurance in His presence and the realization of glory in which the beloved one has gone ahead will sustain me and keep me from falling apart. The rest of this chapter we see from verses 3 through 20 give a very interesting example of the customs of those days. Abraham decided that he wants to own his own place where he can bury Sarah. Sarah's death emphasizes the real reality of his condition. There was no square foot of ground in this whole land of Canaan that Abraham called his own. He sojourned, meaning he traveled. He was able to buy water and a well from Abimelech, but nothing more. The surrounding area does not even belong to him. It was amazing how death makes us more realistic than life. It was when Sarah is dead, that the fact stares Abraham right in the face that he is an alien and a stranger in the land that which he lived the majority of his life. It makes one realize the truth of Elasky's. A good name is better than a fine perfume, the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for death is an eternal of every man and the living should be taking this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, because the sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. The sarcasm of Solomon tells us that life is the tendency to distract us from the reality in which we live. Better would it be to say that sin in life has a dulling effect on us and death makes us think more clearly. Abraham must have looked around before he faced the Hittites. He knew where he wanted to buy, and he probably knew how much he would have to pay for it. We learned that business in the olden days was different from our time. It was a ritual, a part of a society event. Abraham does not just go in and pay. Being familiar with the customs of the time, he probably did not expect anything else. So Abraham makes a deal with the Hittites, particularly with Ephron, the son of Zophar, for a cave which is called Meplaklam, which means double. It has been debated among the scholars which m- means the cave within a cave, or a cave with two entrances, or a cave for two bodies. It must not have been a simple hole in the wall. The Hittites addressed Abraham with a mighty prince means prince of God according to Abraham Clark. It did not clearly, it wasn't clear whether they have looked at Abraham the same way as Abimelech did in chapters 20 and 21. Obviously, they did not display the same fear in Abraham since they did not sell the cave and surround the field to him for a good price. Thus, the spite. In the show of generosity, Abraham read between the lines without any difficulty. The Westerners had a hard time negotiating with people who did not say the way they mean. This is due to the fact that we do not know what it was supposed to mean. Abraham knew that he was not supposed to just accept anything free of charge. Abraham, since he was a very wealthy man, money was no problem at all to deal with. So the negotiations went back and forth, and there is a middleman, which would not necessarily mean Abraham did not know how to deal with Ephraim, but it was the Combinator's suppose. This was a third party, and it was probably part of the Eastern ritual of politeness. Abraham is more direct in his request, but the selling party, nobody says that he what they say actually is what they mean. Finally, Abraham was able to understand that he could only have the cave if he buys the field also, the price for both being 400 shekels of silver. There's no way of asserting how much that sum would be in modern day, but we do get the impression, however, that it wasn't cheap. The Hittites must have realized that they had Abraham over a barrel and they took full advantage of it. We also get the impression that Abraham didn't care how much he had to pay. He had more important things on his mind than silver. Stephen appears to refer to this transaction in Acts, where he talks about Jacob's sons. He says, Their bodies were brought back to Shechem, the place of the tomb Abraham had bought from the sons of Hamar at Shechem, for a certain sum of money. So there seems to be some confusion of Stephen's speech between the deal of Abraham that was made with the Ephraim and the purchase of the piece of ground that Jacob got from Hamar, in Genesis 33:19 we read, "For a hundred pieces of silver he bought from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground that he pitched his tent." A possible solution, which we find mentioned nowhere, would be that Sakoth and Malkoltek were in the same place, and that the Hittites of the area was simply reclaimed what they had sold to Jacob to make somebody have to buy it again. So according to Westminster Dictionary in the Bible, Sekoth of Jacob would be the east of the Jordan River, which is a different place than Meplech, south of Jerusalem. We learn two things from this story. First, that the only piece of land that Abraham ever owned or possessed was a grave. This is a reminder that death uh, is coming on all of us, and we're a stranger in the land. Abraham was rich in heavenly promises, but poor in earthly fulfillments. This is a rich illustration of Hebrews 11, where we read, "By faith he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob." Who were heirs with him at that same promise, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And then they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country not of their own. If they had been thinking of a country that they had left, then they would have the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call them theirs, and he prepared a city for them. The second lesson we find out is about politeness. The politeness in the story was obviously in a veneer and not an inner value. Politeness has value if it is an expression of inner respect and love, without the inner basic of politeness, because nothing more than a slick way of taking advantage of another person. We owe people respect because man is made of the image of God. If we love God, we will love people, and he made them, and we should be polite to them. As Apostle John says in 1 John 4 and 20, If anyone says, I love God and hate thy brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So God is polite to us and we should be polite to one another. It's a plush doll that talks. When you squeeze the hand, it speaks 10 phrases that Jesus said in the Bible, from the Lord's Prayer to John 3, 16, and everything in between. With everything that's going on, it's important to introduce our children to the love and the lessons that Jesus had for many years. I love this product, and so does everyone else. The reviews are amazing, and kids are learning the Bible verses and using the doll to minister to others. If you have kids, grandkids, nieces, and nephews, this is a perfect gift for them. It could be for Easter, birthdays, and even Christmas. Teacher. kids. Kids about the Lord, go to jesusdoll.com and use the promo code Steve Kids for 10% off. And God bless you.